0: 10-Minute Theology, Thinking Rightly About God, Scriptures, and the Church 10 Minutes at a Time, with Joel Wentz. If you are like me at all and you grew up in the church, then you've probably seen many recreations of both Christmas and Easter stories, whether they're pageants or plays or dramatizations. Something that's interesting about this, and this has been on my mind since we just recently celebrated Easter, is the fact that a lot of these recreations conflate what we have in the four different gospel accounts. So at Christmas, we see stories that include the shepherds and the wise men and the innkeeper, so on and so forth. Um, But how does this work out for the Easter story? The differences in these gospel accounts are usually overlooked so, this Easter, I wanted to take some time to zero in on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, find out what they each individually said about the resurrection, and reflect on maybe why those differences exist, or what we can learn from them. But first, a question. Why? What's the point? Why not just focus on the stories as we grow up, knowing them, putting all the details into one, one big story? Isn't that what happened? Well, there have been a lot of efforts to do this in the past. There's actually a book called the Diatessaron that attempts to put all four of the Gospels into one cohesive narrative. However, if you look at the end of the book of John, chapter 21, verse 25, he says, Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. I love that statement just because it's so poetic and kind of hyperbolic. It's very memorable. I love that image that not every book in the world could contain the stories of Jesus. But although that's a great statement, it makes an important point that a lot of other things happened that were not written down. So that begs the question, how did the writers choose what to include or what not to include, and does that even matter? I actually think that we lose something when we gloss over the differences in the four gospel accounts. I think that the unique events and stories that they each have to offer are actually very enlightening and can be very edifying to someone's faith. So what I wanted to do for this episode is do just that. Focus in on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and their stories of the resurrection and point out some unique differences that they bring to each story and what we can learn from them. So let's start with Mark. This is out of the order in the canon, which begins with Matthew, but I wanted to look at Mark because generally, though there's some dispute about this, generally Mark is considered to have been the earliest gospel that was actually written down. A lot of scholars believe that both Matthew and Luke relied heavily on this existing form of Mark to write their stories. So let's look at this one first. Mark ends in chapter 16, and I'd like to read a few verses of the original ending of the original manuscripts. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that's how the book ends, on a note of fear and a note of them fleeing the tomb. What's interesting is the fact that these manuscripts stop right there. Now, there are some theories that maybe a page had been missing from the very earliest ones, and that there were extra verses, but regardless, it's a very abrupt ending. It's so abrupt that, in fact, pretty early in church tradition, another batch of verses were added, which explains why our mark does not end there. I also find it interesting that in these batches of verses that were added, we have the very famous or infamous verse, These signs will accompany those who believe, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes in their hands, and they if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. So a lot of churches have taken those extra verses and ran to some pretty strong conclusions with them. But all that aside, the original manuscripts, the earliest manuscripts that we have access to, end on this very abrupt fear note. And this is what's unique about Mark, is he is very viscerally capturing the emotions of the reaction of the empty tomb. Some other manuscripts have n- kind of hints towards this emotional reaction, but it's not as explicit as it is in Mark, and I think that's what Mark bring to- brings to the Gospels here, is he brings a note of immediacy, of urgency, and a very strong emotion, and frankly, I think it's a very human note that if any of us were to come to an empty tomb with a stranger sitting in it and telling us the person that we were looking for was not there anymore and was walking around, I think a note of fear would accompany that. Moving on to Matthew, Matthew ends um, in chapter 28 with what is known as the Great Commission, but before that, he makes some very interesting notes specifically about the role of Pilate and the Romans and the government in the resurrection of jesus so specifically in chapter 27 starting with verse 62 it says the next day after the day of preparation the chief priests and the pharisees gathered before pilate and said sir we remember what the impostor said while he was still alive that after 3 days i will rise again therefore command the tomb to be made secure until the third day otherwise his disciples may go steal him away and tell the people he has been raised from the dead And the last deception would be worse than the first. Pilate agrees, and they send a guard to make the tomb secure. There's a lot of interesting notes here, and it's interesting that Matthew is the only one who includes these details. First, I find it interesting that the chief priests and the Pharisees approach Pilate about this. And, interestingly, even more so, I think, is that Pilate agrees to their request. So why did he do this? Well, we're not entirely sure, but what Matthew seems to be making clear is that there was an awareness at the time of a possible conspiracy. A lot of the more liberal end of scholars will say today that Jesus wasn't actually physically resurrected... but that they experienced some sort of spiritual awareness of his presence, and so um, the resurrection doesn't need to be a literal, physical thing. Well, without commenting on that theory specifically, I just find it interesting that even the writers of these stories were aware that people would be trying to explain away what happened. And Matthew was very aware that Jesus' own followers might do something, take something into their own hands to ensure that what Jesus said about himself was true, that he would be raised from the dead. Matthew then goes on in the next chapter to comment even more on this with the report of the guard. In chapter 28, verse 12, it says, After the priests had assembled with the elders, again the Jewish leadership, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, You must say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the Jewish leadership flops on the other side of this issue now, actually encouraging the Romans to spread the word that the disciples stole the body. I find this very interesting as well. They use this possible conspiracy theory to explain away Jesus' resurrection. So the Jewish leadership here, as Matthew's depicting them, are very, very dead set on making sure people don't get caught up in these rumors of Jesus' resurrection. And this is what Matthew brings to the story. Luke has a very famous account in chapter 24 called The Road to Emmaus. It's a very mysterious chapter in which two men are walking on the road and are very downtrodden about what has happened to Jesus. A stranger appears to them and begins speaking about all these events. And eventually, in verses 25 through 27, it says that this stranger said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that all of the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then, and this is a very famous verse, very important, beginning with Moses and all the prophets... Jesus interpreted them, the things about himself in all the scriptures. This provides a hermeneutic of sorts, a way to translate and interpret all of the scriptures that hangs on Jesus. And this is extremely important because it provides a way, us a glimpse into how Jesus understood things like the Old Testament. And this is only in Luke. This story is only in the book of Luke. Finally, one more note on chapter 24 is that Jesus goes back with these two strangers. They still don't know who he is at this point, but later on in verse 30, it says that when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Very mysterious account here of Jesus appearing and seeming to disappear. But what's interesting about that is that it's the act of breaking bread that opens their eyes so they can recognize who this man was that was with them. And then finally, we come to John. John chapter 21 is the account of Jesus having breakfast on the beach with his followers. In this chapter is the very famous conversation with Peter in which Jesus asks him three times, Do you love me? And Peter says, Yes. And then Jesus says, Then feed my sheep. This is only in the book of John. It's not in the other gospels. And these three questions of, Do you love me? mirror in a very beautiful and probably kind of painful way for Peter the three times that Jesus, that he denied Jesus, denied knowing him around the crucifixion. I find this story also very moving because Jesus eats and hangs out with his friends in his resurrected body. It's a very tender scene and it's something that I find a lot of comfort in knowing that Jesus had a physical body that he enjoyed the small things in life such as eating fish um, and eating breakfast with friends. So here are a quick this is a quick survey of the differences in the four gospel accounts of Easter. Mark's visceral account of the fear the apostles faced Matthew carefully articulating um, the, def- the defensibility of the genuine physical resurrection. Luke's kind of mysterious, poetic account of Jesus appearing to two seemingly random people. And John's beautifully told reconciliation story with Peter, the rock of the church. Thanks for listening. For more information, you can check out the podcast page at Joelwentz.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at JoelTheValiant. And of course, you can always subscribe to 10 Minute Theology on iTunes. Take care.